All right, everyone, Samson Kovach here back in the Theology Pit, your favorite theologian and podcaster. Check out our website at thetheologypit.com. Check out our YouTube page. Go ahead and subscribe to it. I got another uh, project going on called Divergent Theology, which is really great. And this is part two of a discussion that I did, uh, a series on um, answering common objections to atheists and dealing with the problem of evil. So if you haven't heard the first one, go back and listen. Thanks. You're falling into the theology pit. You're falling in the theology pit. So, this argument of, you know, well, evil exists in order for us to have free will is a crappy Christian argument and it's bunk. And I just think that the whole free will argument is uh, is no good in, in in my opinion now I went to a seminary uh, where a lot of people did believe that we have free will just about every single person there you know except for except for me I don't I don't know many other people in my my Presbyterian professors. But when you go to an Anglican seminary, uh, you're going to have this. And, and there's a reason, there are sociological reasons why um, a, a free will is necessary and in, in, in their, their model of salvation, it is, it's an imperative, it has to be there. But in this atheist argumentation, um, don't use the free will argument for the need for evil or for the existence of evil because it's a terrible argument. Uh, and there, there are a bunch of arguments that the probabilistic world and, uh, you know, things have to go that way. And uh... Well, those do strike me as from hunger. <laughs> fairly, desperate, fairly desperate arguments. Um, we have to remember, we have to remember that the idea that God is good is a f fairly recent domestication of religion. There were plenty of bad gods. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the earth. Okay. So there's plenty of bad gods. And as we read from his book, he doesn't know what those other gods are. He, he's just, he's making this up right now. He has no idea. If you asked him, what are the attributes of God? What makes a thing a God? What makes God God? Okay. If you said, well, you know, God has uh, tires and four tires and an engine and you sit in it and you drive and like, no, that's a car. Oh, I call that a God. Well, it has the attributes of a car. It's a car. If it has the attributes of a God, it's a God. Um, what, what are these attributes? Okay. What, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking, is he talking about a sunflower here? I don't know. Could be. Some people think that sunflowers are gods, but they don't, that's not what a God is. So he's, is he, now he, He's switching from Christianity and he's just kind of, well, religion, this God thing, this whatever, there's tons of these. And all of a sudden we get a good one all of a sudden now. And it's like, really, I'm, no research. It's silly. Daniel Dennett is a silly atheist early days, and this is a, a recent refinement. And of course, the problem of evil just disappears if you go back to the old religions. We have good gods and bad gods, and they're duking it out. And If you go back to the old religions, what old religions? What the heck is he talking about? I mean, good gods and bad gods, is, is he talking about like 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 the Roman understanding? Like, like Greek mythology, Roman mythology? 
Is that what he's talking about? Because the Judeo-Christian God, the writings for the Judeo-Christian God, um, the understanding of it go back, you know, to like 1500 BC. And they're telling stories about people that believed in a good God long before that. So what's he getting at? I mean, we're talking about like conservatively, you know, 400 years or four, yeah, 400, 4,000 years, 4,000 years ago. And he's making some, you know, uh, you know, multiple demigod, polytheistic, um, good God, bad God type thing like Greek mythology. Does it go back that far? I mean, Roman mythology doesn't, right? So you have to look Greco-Roman. I mean, where where are you where are you pulling all of this from? I don't know. I have no idea where what what he's talking about. Because he doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. Something very satisfying <laughs> about that. And once you decide to get rid of the bad gods <laughs> and, and be a monotheistic and suppose that God is good, then you have this nasty problem of explaining right. uh, uh, why then all this evil you're happens. Not argue, you're not arguing to go back to the old ways, are you? <laughs> well, I think there was a certain, there was a certain uh, dramatic integrity to them that is missing from the more recent ideas of God. Um, he has no idea about when he says monotheistic. Again, he's only talking about three religions, possible, three possible religions in the world. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. That's it. Now, I haven't studied Islam extensively. Don't care to. There are lots of people that do. You know, Dr. James White, Alpha and Omega Ministries, go to him. Um, Nabil Koresh's work um, that, that he's done. Um, there are lots of people that, that study Islam and go and see how Islam deals with that. The Judeo-Christian, yeah, there's a thing called sin. And we'll, we'll get to that in, in, in this uh, episode of The Theology Pit. Uh, you know, when, when uh, the, I can't remember their names, the, the people that, that created the comic book character Superman, uh, they realized they had a problem. They had this omnipotent, indestructible uh, agent. And where can they, how can there be suspense? How can there be any storylines? They had to invent kryptonite. Mm. They had to invent kryptonite so that there would be a countervailing force mm. in the world. Mm. And I view theologians' attempts to handle the problem of evil as this is this is just kryptonite, <laughs> and it's it's one understands why it's necessary as a as a sort of dramatic device, but I can't take it seriously in any other way. Some theologians would try to harmonize an all good God with an all powerful God. That those two concepts, that's tough, and that's a tough one. Tough other one. theologians have now come along and to say, okay we really can't do that, so we have to compromise one or the other. Yep. And in general, what they do is they diminish the, the all-powerful. Mm. And they somehow say that there was part of God that, uh, that is the, from antiquities or everlasting, that, that, that's, uh, that is unchanging, and, and, and then, but there's part of God that's open and uncertain. Yeah, he's done the best he can. And, 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 and so the best, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's possible to do in order yeah, to yeah. maintain this relationship with, with, with the 
the free agents. And so they diminish the all power and therefore eliminate the inconsistency. Well, that's but in your own telling, it sounds to me like 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 a storyboard conference at <laughs> Superman Comics. Um, how are we going to solve this problem? Well, let's see. If we maybe. if we if we tone down the the omnipotence a little bit, then we could be back in business. All right, let's do it. Um, but just for clarity, omnipotence is all powerful. If you're all powerful. It means just that you're all power. You're not some powerful. Okay. You're either omnipotent or you're not. Okay. It's like you're, you know, you're either omniscient or you're not. Okay. It's when you use these words, all powerful, all knowing. Well, he's, he's all knowing, but there's lots of things he don't, he doesn't know. Well, then he's not all knowing. Same thing here. Well, he's all powerful, but eh, we had to tone that down. He's not really all powerful. It's ridiculous. I mean, th- torturing the language. I don't even know if I want to continue with this, uh, to be honest. I mean, basically, you know, you're listening to somebody. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's written books stating he doesn't know what he's talking about. His f- philosophical dealings with the arguments for God's existence are laughable. Um, I just don't think that, you know, we should waste any more of our time with someone who obviously, um, you know, drinks his soup through a straw. Um, I, I, I think that that's, that that's fairly clear. So what we're going to do is we're going to just uh, move along here. And we're going to go to Michael Shermer. He is uh, the editor, I think, of Skeptic Magazine. And... Um, you know, this is six minutes and 57 seconds long. We'll see how far we can get, you know, through this a little bit more serious. And because of that, it might be a little bit more to 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 work with or to uh, to, to work through rather. Michael, you're an atheist. Many of your best friends are atheists. You uh, debate with uh, people who believe in God. What are atheism's best arguments? The atheists who take a philosophical perspective use a different set of arguments than I would. You know, they, they have, has to do with the first cause and the prime mover and they debunk all those. They sort of leave the theist arguments without any substance. Ergo, there is no God. The approach I take is more positive, actually, in, in the sense of there's actually positive argument. The idea that there is a God which is anthropological, psychological, sociological studies of religion. And so the fact that where you happen to be born tells us which God you believe in and which religion you adhere to. And the fact that there's 10,000 different religions around the world, at least, if not more, and thousands of different gods, that's indication. That's a strong indication that we created God, not vice versa. No, it isn't. Um, he is actually, and I've heard this from atheists before. They've said to me, well, Sam, see, you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian household and you live in a Christian country and, you know, you live in a Christian nation. There are churches everywhere and Christianity is just all over the place, you know? And, you know, I've been told this by people that I've grown up with in the same country. In the same culture, 
and yet they're not Christians. They defeat their own argument by making it. And he's going to do the same. He's going to say, well, you know, if I was raised in India, I'd probably, I'd believe that. That would be my religion. It's like, no, you grew up in a nation. I guarantee you're surrounded by Christians. Okay. Maybe good ones, maybe bad ones. Who knows? It, it doesn't matter. It's like some people that went to church. You know, I, I was raised Catholic. I went to church and I went there all the time and I don't believe any of that stuff. And I'm just like, uh, okay, well, then you know what? You are a living example that this argument right here is bunk. That argument doesn't hold water whatsoever. Not only that, when he says about like the um, you know, cosmological argument and that sort of thing, ah, they just, you can just brush that away. Oh, Thanks for not giving us any examples of how you just brush that away. Here's the thing with the um, the, the cosmological argument. Um, I have never, and I shouldn't say never, but um, I've never personally heard or read an atheist argument against the Kalam argument, or against the cosmological argument, excuse me, where they actually represented the syllogism properly. Daniel Dennett doesn't do it in his book. Richard Dawkins doesn't do it in his book. Sam Harris doesn't do it in his book. The cosmological argument is anything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. That's all the cosmological argument is. Okay, that, that, that's it. Um, so, the way it's usually changed is... Anything that begins to exist must have a cause. Or anything that exists must have a cause. I think that's how they word it. Anything that, anything that exists must have a cause. Oh, oh, well, God exists. What was his cause? Because you're saying anything that exists has a cause. And it's like, no, the argument is anything that begins to exist has a cause. Not anything that exists must have a cause. Okay? While it is true that things that exist do have cause, there's, you know, laws of contingency there. Um, it's, it's worded very carefully for a reason. And whenever you change it, you are no longer representing the cosmological argument. You're, you're, you've just made something up that nobody, it's a straw man. Nobody, nobody holds to that. Nobody... Nobody hears that. And some people have made these atheist arguments in the caveman speak because that's about what they are. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, if God, why bad thing? If God, why bad thing feel good? If if God exists, why he no have God? And that's, that's all they are. That's all that these arguments are over and over and over again. You know, I mean, it's just... And they never, they never give you attributes for God. They never define what they're talking about. Uh, they, they borrow from theistic language. They borrow from uh, Christian philosophy, for terminology, for understanding. And they just, they, they, they say stuff like this, you know, that, hey, wherever, wherever you live, that's, that's what you believe. The Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. 
Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. Counter-argument is that all of those different religions have a core concept of a supernatural agent of some kind, and that culturally that that core concept is then expressed in different ways. And and the and the very diversity and ubiquity was across the earth and every society that you're using against God is can would be used as a proof that there is a God. Or- now, this is what's called the census divinitatis, okay? I think I said that properly. The sense of the divine. If, if Christianity is true and everybody from the creation of mankind knew about God and knew God, you would expect to see 99% of all of humanity believe in some type of supernatural deity force whatever some type of thing other than themselves okay in uh, in a plane of existence that we are not directly in communication with that's what you would expect to see it's like it's like if there truly was a great flood you would expect to see it recorded in other ancient literature so when people say, well, you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh and it talks about, you know, a great flood and it sounds a lot like Noah. And then you look at and then you look at the Bible and it's, it's like, yeah, imagine that if something actually happened, if a phenomenon like that actually happened, then the cultures of the world would all have a, a, a similar experience, a similar story. You would expect to see that. So, you know, everybody's having this similar type thing is actually more evidence that there is something out there that we can put in the realm of God. We can talk about the attributes of them. And and this is this is theistic in a sense because if people believe in a deity and it's for the purpose of communicating or communing with that deity or appeasing that deity or something, then they believe that 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 deity, whatever that is, can transcend time and space, which makes it, which makes the people not deists, but theists, whether they're polytheists or monotheists, whatever. But you would expect to see something like that. Or some sort of a, 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 a supernatural force that exists. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the argument that they make. And my counter to that is actually, no, we can look inside the brain and an evolutionary theory to explain why even that concept is constructed by humans and not vice versa. That is, we made gods and God did not make us. Because, for example, if you stimulate certain parts of the temporal lobe, people will experience floating out of their body. They'll experience a sense presence. There's an invisible being in the room with me right now. I can just sense him here. And and you can just poke around there and do uh, brain stimulation. You can do it with uh, uh, like electromagnetic fields. You can do it through sleep deprivation, through hunger and starvation. And so playing the role of a theist, I'd say, well, of course, of course, there's that. If, if God's going to have a relationship with people, there has to be a, a way that, that God can 
direct evolution so that people will have a way to communicate. Do we have, it's not a miracle that I see, I have to have eyes to see. So if I'm going to have a relationship with God, there has to be a part of my brain to do that. Now, this is why I am a Christian, because Christianity is the most falsifiable religion. The Jewish and the Christian worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview, is a God that is based on evidence, okay, on, on tangible things actually happening. God refers to himself and is referred to in the Old Testament as the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who does things. The names of God are actions. They are events. Okay. They, they, they tell you not God's name, but an attribute about him, how he works through history. And, um, the, the, the best way that, that he is known in the world is as Yahweh. And Yahweh is, you know, translated I am or um, the being one, the one who exists, the I am that I am that I am that I am. My Jewish study Bible says that it's understood as um, you will know me by what I am about to do. He gives Moses this name before he um, releases the Israelites from, uh, from bondage, from Egypt, before the 10 plagues happen. Same name that Jesus used before he was crucified when the Roman guards came to arrest him. And he said, I am. Um, and he would tell you know, the Jews, that's why the Jews wanted to stone him. He constantly said, I am. In, um, uh, in the New Testament, he is referred to, and I, I want to say it's in, um, I want to say it's in Jude. Let's say Jude verse five, I believe. I think there's only one chapter in Jude verse five. Um, that it describes Jesus as the one who brought, he brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He is being directly related to Yahweh. It's, it's, it's more than a name. It's an action. It is, it's a historical, tangible manifestation. Jesus's resurrection was physical. Um, he was there for 40 days, walking around, talking to people. Hundreds of people saw him. Paul says more than 400 saw him at one time, at one point. And go and he even says in his letters, "Don't believe me. Go talk to those people. All right, there, some some have fallen asleep, some have died, but most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. They saw them. They did it. Christianity is completely falsifiable. All they had to do was was produce a body, bring it out of the tomb. This all goes away. But they didn't. So it's not some feeling. It's not oh, I was a little too hungry or you know sleep deprivation or whatever." That's, that's not Christianity. It might be some other religions, but again, you have to conflate all the other religions and push it into Christianity in order to make this stuff you know, seem extremely uh, you know, un unrealistic. Good, good argument. And that is the argument that they make. And then I come back and say, okay, but if, if God did it that way, why is it that somebody born in India doesn't believe in your God at all? He believes in Ganesha, the blue elephant god. But why would why would God have done it that way? And had I been born there, that's what I would believe instead of a Western. So why is he's not a Christian? Just in case anybody didn't know, he's not a Christian. 
This argument falls flat on its face. This argument, this one right here, what he just said falls on its face. My brain different than the Indian's brain. And, and, and the, the argument that some would make uh, who are universalists would say that both of those individuals are, are in touch with the same uh, 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 supernatural force or, or, or ultimate reality or the real. People have different characterizations yeah. of what that is. Um, and and that so many people do that is a demonstration that there's some deep need. Right, exactly. A deep need that evolved like all of our other needs. And you could just start with something like hunger and thirst and sex. I mean, really basic drives that obviously we evolved for, for very specific reasons for survival. But you just start building onto that all these other beliefs that, that are really no different. They're just emotions evolved to drive behavior to do certain things, including the emotion of wanting to be with other people, a social thing. Okay, so, so we have the, this is a, an anthropological social argument which you make uh, others uh, analytic would make analytical kinds of arguments to undermine the theist uh, argument so those are two broad categories yeah. of atheistic arguments uh, are there others well the problem of evil okay i think is probably the biggest one uh, in terms of the way things are in the world mm -hmm. and the way things uh, should be if there were a god or not a god mm -hmm. and the way the world is structured with evil you know why bad things happen to good people and i'm not talking about you know, why you hate me and, and why there's genocide. No, I mean, just like innocent children getting cancer. Why would that happen? Uh, in a universe where there's an all-powerful, all-good God, that shouldn't be happening. In a, in a universe where there is no God, that is exactly what would happen. So it fulfills that. It's in a universe where there is no God, there wouldn't be any problem with that happening. Because it doesn't matter. It's not good or evil. It's not bad. It's not, it's not. There is no, there is no thing. There is no objective thing. It's sort of a prediction. Right. The argument from evil is a strong one because it, it leads directly without a lot of complicated arguments to the fact that the universe has no God. To explain it with a God, you have to go through some complex thinking. And, and theists have a lot of those. They do. And there are, are dozens of explanations for the problem of evil, but they're complicated. They take books. That's right. And I know. You had one statement that therefore there's no God. Right. To go the other way. So, now, so that's... All right. So that's pretty much what we needed to hear from that. Okay. Tons of these complicated arguments that, you know, theists have to go through to, you know, show that the problem of evil and they just can't do it. And it's just, oh, it's 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 a mess. It's a blah, blah, blah. <sighs> Let me take you very quickly through this argument and why evil exists and why a, a good and all powerful God allows these things to take place. All right. If you want to turn into your turn your Bibles, you want to open them up to you know if you're if you're not watching, we're going to go right here to Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six. Then God said, "Let us make humankind in our image." after our likeness, so they may rule. So they may rule. So they may rule over the fish so they, of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, 
and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. So everything that God had just created in all the different days, okay, the three groups of things, mankind is to rule over it. So pretty much all of creation. The footnote here says, God's purpose in giving humankind his image is that they might rule the created order on behalf of the heavenly king and his royal court. So, the divine image, however it is defined, gives humankind the capacity and or authority to rule over creation. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Because, is God a liar? Does God say things and they're not so. God is not a liar. God can say things and they determine reality. If God said humanity is in control, humanity rules over all of creation, all of creation. If he rules over all of creation, and all of creation is subject to what humanity does. And humanity sins. And because of the fall, sin enters the world. And if God fought mankind on that and said, all right, I'm an all good God. I'm going to stop this effect. I'm going to stop that effect. I'm going to stop that effect. I'm going to stop that. I am going to not allow the air to obey your breath when you want to tell a lie. In fact, I'm not going to allow you to even tell that lie. I'm actually going to stop the formation of the thought in your head. I'm actually going to stop you from being able to think. I'm going to stop you from being able to rule. I'm going to stop you from being the creation that I created, the one to rule over this. The reason why intercessory prayer is powerful and it works is because mankind is petitioning God and asking him to intercede on our behalf. This is why miracles occur. This is why prayers get answered. You know, God gave us dominion over everything, and he honors that, even to the point where it has distorted everything in our world, that because of that, things don't function properly. Our bodies do not function properly, okay? We get sick. We, people are born with birth defects. People get cancer. Children get cancer. It's because of the effect of the fall and an honoring, righteous God who is who he says he is and does what he says he does. That is why evil exists, because mankind is evil and God from the very beginning from creation has given man everything, everything in creation to rule over. And where this is at, we're talking about time, we're talking about space, we're talking about the entire cosmos. That is what mankind 
is created to rule over. And who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who sits on the throne and does rule? The fully human, the Anthropos, Jesus Christ, our representative, the perfect human, the one who fulfills this, the one who sets stuff straight, who actually does this. That is why there is evil. That is not complicated. That is not books of things. It didn't take very long to explain it. Even a lazy atheist has read Genesis 1, the first chapter of Genesis. I mean, how many, how many verses are there here in, in Genesis 1? There's, there's 31 verses. 31. These atheists can't read 31 verses. This is, this is a shame. It, it, it's, it's a shame that, you know what, it, it, it's a shame on twofold. Number one, that Christians have such a hard time explaining this. I mean, the one thing that you don't have to prove to people is that stuff isn't right. That there are people that do bad stuff, that evil exists, even atheists that don't believe in a God that exists as the contrast so that we know what evil is. We know what sin is. Sin literally means to miss the mark, that there is a proper way of doing things. And when you don't do it the proper way, that's sin. And that the degree of sin can then get put into a realm of evil for atheists. But, but here it is. We just looked at it. No one will read. No, no one read. I mean, it's plain. It's clear. It's right there. God created mankind, gave him dominion, which means everything is under his control. What he does affects everything. You know, I mean, we believe that in politics, right? We believe in politics that, you know, you, you know, you get the government that you deserve because that's who you voted for. Elections have consequences. How many times have we heard that? Because the people that we delegated authority to the laws that they produce, the things that we, you know, are are subject to live under. Those have consequences. And if they're bad, you feel them. You feel the bad consequences with, with over legislation, with with a bloated government. I mean, um, I never saw the movie The Purge. I, I don't know how many that they made. I don't know what it is. But I know the basic premise of it. And it's like, you know, there's like, a, what, a day where there's no laws at all. And it's like, you know, what are people going to do? And I guess it's like, you know, some type of like horror movie or whatever. You know, it's just people being crazy. But there was a joke that was going around that said, you know what? If that ever existed, there were no laws. You know what I would do? I'd go fishing. Yeah. I'd go hunting. Hmm. I'd cut hair. Yeah. Because all of those things take licenses from the government to do. All of those. They're ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. But, but this is the consequence of somebody having authority and doing something and it having effect. All right. How many of those things have been in effect that, you know, longer than what, than, than we've been alive. So people that made those laws, you know, may have made those laws long before I was born, 
but yet I'm still living under the effects of them. If I want to go fishing, I need to get a license. You know, the, the language that Pennsylvania has for, um, you know, hunting is still like, you know, that, that English language, that European English language, you know, that the animals are the state's animals, just like they were the king's animals. Okay. And so we live under that effect. I live under that effect that happened before, but yet it's unreasonable for us to think that a God who's a God of his word, who has elected mankind to be in this position over all of eternity, and then he screwed up and bad things happen, you know, it's not God's responsibility to go in and fix it. All right. St. Anselm made that argument in his, um, in his work, Credeus Homo, why the God man. It's a, it's a, it's a good work. It's why Christ had to be both God and man, why that was necessary because only God could fix the problem. And it was only man's responsibility for it. But why do bad things happen? And God, who's an all powerful God and an all good God, why doesn't he stop them? Because he's a God of his word. If he wasn't a God of his word, he wouldn't be God. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. You know, check us out, theologypit.com. Um, I got some new shirts made up that um, that say I can do all things through Scripture taken out of context. You can buy them on the website. Uh, don't forget to check out um, Divergent Theology. Right now, Michael is doing the lead. Uh, the way this is working, we each take a topic, and his lead is that he denies. He said, I don't believe in sola scriptura or Scripture alone. And so it's a four-part um, uh, series that we have. Uh, each episode is a half hour long, video and um, podcast. So go ahead and check it out. Um, give us some feedback on it. You know, like, subscribe. If you haven't been to the Theology Pit on YouTube, like and subscribe it. I did a live stream video. I just wanted to try it out with some of the software. Um, you know, reacting to one of Todd Friel's um videos from retro radio you can go and check that out also but i hope that this was informative i hope that this you know helps people out i hope that they understand how to respond to atheists to look at what they're saying how they're saying it and with you know theodicy with the problem of evil that the reason why it exists is because god is a god of his word thank you for listening to the theology pit Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's Samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. So, hey, everybody. Next week, um, we're going to be looking at Pentecostalism. We're going to look at the history of it. We're going to sit down with a couple of Pentecostal pastors, if possible, and have them just discuss why they're not considered Baptist or non-denominational or Anabaptist or anything like that, why Pentecostal is the name, and what makes them different from other um, traditions within Christianity. Uh, so thanks for listening. And for this episode, for this series here, it's definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you. This and more on the next Theology Pit. Mm-hmm.